You guys all set for Christmas? Get all your Christmas stuff done? Yeah, how are uh, you guys with gift giving? I would love to hear your perspectives because I'm not good at all with gift giving. <laughs> That's like my love language. So really? like I, I spend a lot of energy always thinking about giving gifts to people. Yeah. Like, so I'm constantly thinking that way. So yeah, uh, for us, I mean, we're almost done Christmas shopping. We every year we get a little bit better at it, and now with, I would probably say ninety percent of our shopping's online. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's a lot easier that mm-hmm. way. Um, sure. So yeah, we it, it was comical though the amount of packages that came <laughs> in a short time because Mary's uh-huh. like maximizing the uh, Black Friday, mm-hmm. Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. and so like all of it basically gets ordered within a weekend. And so our room right now. What's I love about Mary, there's this giant pile of it's all now divided into different bags, big bags for the kids. Uh-huh. And then she just put a blanket over it. That's like our protection. So if any one of our <laughs> kids wanted to find out what gifts we had or they had, you know, all they had to do is like peel back the blanket. But I think they're pretty good. Do so. your kids ever try to do that? Like the classic look of. at their Christmas gifts? Not that I know of. <laughs> um, I think they really like the surprise. But yeah, I was gonna say my kids are the same way. Ours is in the closet underneath a blanket. <laughs> right, yeah. So. Fun fact, my brother Chris, 100% growing up, every single year, went into our parents' closet and looked at our gifts. And uh, <laughs> he had to know, Chris is the worst at. He can't, he can't, if he buys you a gift, you're getting the gift. Like, he can't wait till Christmas, yeah. but he also wants to know, so. So he would look at the gifts, would he then ruin it for all of you? No, 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 he was nothing like that. And then he would love it. Like, he still had just as much fun on Christmas, like, <laughs> acting like he was surprised and stuff. So it was just funny. He just needed to be at peace knowing what he got, so. Oh, that's awesome. Well, guys, thank you for joining me. So today, uh, our podcast is uh, a new one for us in the sense that uh, it's called The Branch. And what we're doing is we, we realized that sometimes with Sundays, just teaching a message on Sunday is not mm-hmm. enough, that there's some elements of it that we want to come back to, maybe go a little bit deeper, maybe mm-hmm. spend uh, some extended time in application, kind of like we did with the Holy Podcast mm-hmm. uh, about the Holy Series. But then we also know there are just topics every once in a while we want to talk about. And and Anthony did joke and say, uh, we should just put a microphone in the offices <laughs> because, uh, you know, as I say this, I think it, to some degree it might sound a little pretentious. I don't mean it to be. Um, but we have some really good conversations mm-hmm. almost yeah. every single day yeah, yeah. In, in the most random way um, where someone bring up a topic and then as staff, we start engaging it. And, and what's funny is like the more the conversation connects with someone, the closer physically they get. So like even today, Anthony and I were talking, Chris is like on the opposite corner and Chris just got closer and closer to where he was standing with us at the table. Getting pulled into the orbit yeah. of the conversation. And actually today's topic is one that I'd, midway through our conversation, I was kind of like, all right, stop, stop. This would be great for the podcast today. Um, so, but thank you. So for anyone that might not know, uh, I'm Matthew. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, at the tree church. Uh, pastor Chris is uh, the associate pastor. Pastor Anthony is going to be our campus pastor uh, when we launch our first campus in 2024, and uh, both are on the teaching team. Mm-hmm. And so, guys, thank you for for being here. Yeah. So here's the topic for today. Um, looking back at, so we just got done with a 17 part series on holiness, uh, the idea that God sets us apart, and and specifically when we were talking about holiness, what we were emphasizing every single week was behavioral change. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're just mm-hmm. kind of narrowing it down to the, its simplest form we were talking about that there are behaviors that God calls us to do. So God Mm -hmm. can call us to think differently, but it's always with the idea that that thought is going to impact our behavior. So we're, it very much is talking about works, what Mm -hmm. the Bible would talk about works, Mm -hmm. what we actually do physically do. Okay. So we spent 17 weeks. We immediately flowed from that into a series right now that you could say is very heavy on the grace side of things. Mm -hmm. We're two weeks into it uh, this third week. So the first week, we're talking about that Jesus is with sinners. Uh, Pastor Anthony taught last week, uh, Jesus is with the outcast of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Sunday, the topic is going to be that Jesus is with the broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final East Christmas Eve, Easter, Easter Eve, I almost <laughs> said that way, Christmas Eve uh, services that Jesus is for you. Like he's, he's going after individuals. Okay. So you look at it and you go, like on one hand, we spent 17 weeks talking about works. And now it looks like, okay, now we're talking about grace. And I think sometimes it can feel that tension in our lives where we're going, is it one or the other? Mm-hmm. Because it, it very much seems to be one or the other. Is it, are we going to emphasize works? Are we going to emphasize grace? Even I think in our lives, we wonder, is is that the rhythm that we have, that sometimes in our lives it ha- we have to be hyper-focused on works, sometimes on grace? How do those two mesh together? Okay, so this is what we want to discuss today, but this is not a simple topic in the sense of, it's not a quick answer. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that has been discussed 
hundreds and thousands, thousands of years, years right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the scriptures, let, let's just start by somewhat setting a theological foundation. So in the scriptures, you have two ideas that discuss this, and I want to be careful, they're not opposing ideas, mm-hmm. but on the surface, they sure can seem that sure. way. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, you have Paul and his theology that he, I think, best communicates it for this discussion in Romans chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Then James addresses the same topic in James chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And again, if you know nothing, no context, anything, and you just read both of those passages, you would think these are opposing, okay? So let's take a t- some, some time to just set the foundation. Do you mind just doing Romans 4, explaining basically yeah. what Paul says? So again, j- just assume the audience knows nothing about it. What is Paul saying in chapter four, you'll, you'll do James chapter two, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll kind of go deeper into to see how these are not actually conflicting mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. Romans four, I mean, it comes off of Paul's argument. I mean, he's, he's talking in context about, uh, salvation in, in the gospel in relation to both Jews and Gentiles. So even in early chapters, like chapter two is very, very heavy. Um, you see him talk about this dilemma between the Jews and the Gentiles and really kind of what do we do with that, right? The Jews yeah. understood that they were under the Mosaic law, but now that Christ has come, what do we make of that? Are we still under the law? Are we still abiding by the Mosaic law? How does this then work with the inclusion of the Gentiles? I know we've talked before, even in Acts 15, they, they bring this question up. Are, are the Gentiles now going to have to be circumcised? Are they going to have to come under the Mosaic law? So there was this, this misunderstanding of what the gospel really declared and, and what mm-hmm. people had to do now in light of that. So Paul is kind of arguing this. And then in chapter three, he, he really, he lays it down pretty clear and pretty heavy. And he basically says, no one's going to be justified by works of the law, right? right? Mm-hmm. That, that righteousness now comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gives the example in Romans chapter four. So Romans chapter four is basically the narrative form of that illustration. And he points back to the Jewish founder of the faith, right? He points mm-hmm. back to the story mm-hmm. of Abraham. And his whole argument is that uh, Abraham is justified before the law ever came in the sense that he, he received the word from God. He believed it and he says, God counted it to him or credited it to him as righteousness simply because he believed in the words of God. And so for him, I think the context is really important to, to understand both sides of this. He's addressing specifically Jewish people who are struggling with now the gospel in light of what they're supposed to do with the Mosaic law. And what he's trying to say is, listen, even Abraham, who you guys point to, he was considered righteous before he ever did any works of the law because it started with him believing God at his word. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the context. He's addressing people who still think they're called Mm -hmm. to live under the Mosaic law. It's righteousness still comes by the law. And so then he lays it down and says, no, righteousness now comes by faith in Christ. And Abraham himself is an example of this. And it's been reduced down to a statement that I don't know if Paul ever actually said it exactly this way, but it's been reduced that you are saved by faith alone, mm-hmm. right? So it's not by works. And Paul does say that in Ephesians chapter 2, but it's it's the idea of faith alone, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, we're simplifying it down. It's not about works. It's not about earning it, anything like that. It's by faith alone. Okay. So then James comes and actually says, so you see, you're not saved by faith alone. <laughs> so James comes out and, and you, again, if you're just looking at it, right. you're like, wait, what? So which one's right? Okay, so why don't you give us a, an idea of what James was communicating in chapter two? So James comes from a perspective of someone who might be taking that to its utmost degree. So mm-hmm. someone who goes, oh, if I don't, if I don't, if works don't count for anything, like, why do I have to do anything? And so, like, you get this complacent group of people that are relying on their their intellectual knowledge and not living out the call of the gospel. And so James comes along and he says, yeah, I hear that you have faith, but what, where... Where, where, where's the proof? Like, yeah. like if, if the proof is in the pudding, like you, you've got nothing going on here. Mm-hmm, so right. you keep saying you believe in Jesus, but none of your life, nothing you're doing looks like you mm-hmm. actually have the faith that you claim to have. And so James will argue that without demonstration of faith, there's no real genuine faith present. And so he's going to use the same exact example. And in and, and the the focus of James is really going to be more geared on Abraham's obedience Mm -hmm. in sacrificing Isaac. And so Abraham believed God, but also Abraham acted on that belief. Mm -hmm. Abraham trusted what God, the words that God said, but then Abraham also 
live that out in his life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, right. I think you see James really start to begin. And, and I don't think it's a contradiction. It is the it is that tension that I think that we're going to be that we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah. But it's it's that place of if there is real, genuine trust in God, then it's going to it's going to produce something in your right. life. Yeah. And so that is how you're going to know that you you have the faith that saves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I, I know, Anthony, I've heard you say this numerous times that in our culture, we're at a point now where words just don't have meaning, it seems like. <laughs> uh, but I think when you go to the scriptures, it's, it's critically important to understand what the meaning is of words. Mm-hmm. So when you have a Paul who says you're saved by faith, the question really is defining what exactly is faith? Right. And, and that's what James is doing mm-hmm. is he's going, okay, like he's not disagreeing with Paul. Right. He's just saying we have to clearly define it because yep. if you take faith and say what faith is, is belief, mm-hmm. James is like, no, belief doesn't save you right. in the sense of just believing that Jesus is real. I mean, James goes as far as to say, even the demons right. believe and they right. shudder. So yeah. like, it's not just that he's defining what true faith is, is belief, but it's belief, as you said, that compels into behavior. Right. And so like on one hand, you have Paul that goes, look at Abraham. He believes before the law and he is saved. Mm -hmm. James goes, yeah, that's great. Look at Abraham. He believed and he was saved, but that belief led him into obedience because his faith wasn't just simply thought. Mm -hmm. It it, it was more than that. Okay. So this is a tension though, this dynamic of works and faith Mm -hmm. that has been debated and wrestled with. I mean, even some of the major, um, we would say major players in theology, mm-hmm. even the, even where the line that we come from now, like Martin Luther, we were talking mm-hmm. about this earlier. Yeah, Martin Luther actually had a tension with the book. <laughs> right. he, he hated the James, book of James. To, say, yeah. to some degree because, you know, what, what, explain that for a second, because you, you hear that, you go, okay, so why does a person who's a follower of God, even someone so instrumental in, in helping leading to what is now Protestant Christianity, mm-hmm. And you hear that, wait, he did not like a book of the Bible, but mm. what's even the background of that? Why did he have a tension with it? So Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk, means meaning that he followed the the theology, the thought process, and the the way of living of, of St. Augustine, who was one of the church fathers, like um, 350, 400s, that, kind of that time frame. So um, when the monastic era started, all these people started fall, falling in under these lines of, of, of belief and thought process. Um, so he's going to be a lawyer, gets caught in a lightning storm, dedicates his life to becoming a monk at that, at that point and says, if God, if you'll save me, I'll I'll go to the, I'll go to the monastery. And so he does, he, he upholds that, that commitment he makes. And then, um, gets ordained that way. But then he struggles throughout his time in the monastery struggling with the idea of how do I know, how am I assured of my faith? How can I know for sure that, that I'm saved, that God justifies me? And he would, I mean, like you, you think of asceticism in ways that like we fast every once in a while, Martin Luther's beating himself. He's like literally literally beating himself. Like he is so plagued with this idea that there's no way that he'll ever be righteous before God. Mm Um, studying Romans, comes across Romans 4 and, and begins to see these things play out. Then he goes, this idea, this whole thought process, the only way we know for sure that we can be saved, the only way we can have confidence in this is the fact that we are only saved by God's grace. And so he creates this idea out of this process, out of this, this background of like, the, there's no confidence in my own works. I keep mm-hmm. messing up. I keep working mm-hmm. hard. I'm trying really, really hard. And I still like Martin Luther's confessors were like, you need to stop coming to me. Like <laughs> you're confessing too much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he would go and confess every little thing. And so like he had this overactive conscious and, and so when he reads Romans, he go, he finds his relief mm-hmm. essentially. So the yeah. gospel becomes freedom for him. So grace is freedom. And so like he, he goes, Okay, so if this is justified by faith, I go and I look at now at the the epistle of James and I go, this seems this he he doesn't do the hard work of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like what we just talked about. He goes, that seems to say something completely opposite. Mm -hmm. And that diminishes my assurance in Mm -hmm. because there are still times where I still struggle. And and I'm, I'm speaking on like. In right, the first yeah. person of, of Martin Luther. But so like these are the thought processes that are kind of going through his head and what he's struggling with. So you have this 
his, this context of his life that leads him down a direction to where he so sides with a sola fide. And that really, that sola fide is Latin for by faith alone, right. really stems out of that move, mm-hmm. his movement and the rest of the Protestant movement. Mm-hmm. So that's his struggle with James is it leaves too much room for there's still responsibility. And how do we know, how, how can we have assurance if it still depends on right. our works and our acts? Yeah. Well, here's what I think we know, that even within Christianity, different versions of it, that this is still a tension where mm-hmm. it seems to be, not seems to be, it is, that certain denominations, certain con- convictions will emphasize works mm-hmm. way over grace and vice versa, grace mm-hmm. way over works. Um, so um, Martin Luther very much, it was in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church right? Uh, in the sense of because he felt that that was a works-based system. And do you, you want to speak to that for a moment of like, do you want to touch this? <laughs> like of Catholicism. I mean, like when we look at it and or not just Catholicism, but the legalism that we see sometimes in church. Sure, here's here's sure. what I was thinking. So you better understand where I'm going with this. Uh, I think the, the average listener is probably going to have a natural tendency to lean one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, like even as we we're talking, Chris, I don't, I don't mean this. I don't think this would embarrass you, but I, I feel like there's probably a, a lot of your personality that resonates with Martin Luther. Very much so. Yeah. Because you've had that tension in yep. your life. You know, Chris is, we tease you here as a joke <laughs> because like Chris is the type of person that uh, you ask him a question, he'll answer. And then he might, he might later on come to you and go, hey, was I short when I answered you? And you're like, Chris, you have never once been mean in your life. So, But you have that deep-rooted conviction of yeah. just yeah. like that yeah. sensitivity and stuff. And so you're For probably sure. going to lean one way, uh, even in being hard on yourself. But I mean, just speaking to that, they're just, I think people just kind of lean one way and embrace one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are How are people to process through if they naturally lean one way? How do you find that balance? <clears throat> yeah, I think part of it is personality and not only personality, but it's it's experiences in life, your upbringing, all of that stuff shapes yeah. who we are. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, right? Like none of us grow up in a bubble. Our thoughts are not 100% objective. They, they've mm-hmm. been shaped by our environments and the things that we've been, mm-hmm. ex- you know, we've been experiencing. Um, you know, to go back a little bit with Martin Luther and even the Catholic Church, I mean, the, the reality is you have some people that come out of background grounds that we would call more legalistic in yeah. the sense that um, things that are supposed to be liberating. So we might even call like the sacraments means of grace, right? They're, they're means of grace in that they are there to draw us nearer to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the problem becomes when those things become our confidence rather than pointing us to Jesus. So I, I have friends, and this is true, you know, for them, where as long as you go to confession, as long as you mm-hmm. make it to mass, as long as you do these things, there is some level of divorce between their daily lives, how they live, yeah. what they're pursuing mm-hmm. and what they're doing, because they've made it about these things. And, and those are not a means to an end to them. It's like, this is it. This is what we have to do rather than though this is actually a way for me to draw near to Christ, to grow in grace in mm-hmm. him. Um, but I think, again, we all have those natural tendencies one way or the other. And really, I think the the gospel points to this reality that grace frees us. It frees us from, I mean, to use Paul's language, like from the burden of the law that, that none of us can meet mm-hmm. up to. None of us can reach this high mark. I mean, I'm just reading through the book of Acts devotionally right now, where uh, really Peter actually rebukes the Jerusalem council when they're trying to get the Jew, or the Gentiles to be circumcised. And he says, you're, you're laying this burden on them that we or our fathers couldn't bear. Right, you know. Yeah. And so mm. there's one sense in which the gospel is supposed to free us. I think of even the, the example of John 9, where or John 8, where you know, the woman is caught in adultery and uh, Jesus's words to her are really an explanation of the gospel. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Right. Yeah. The, the order is important there. Like you are not condemned. Grace has been extended. Love has been extended. Mercy has been extended. And that should be transformative in that now we want to honor and love and, and you know, please the Lord because of what has been extended to us rather than seeing works as a means of justifying ourselves mm-hmm. before God. That's right. where it becomes crushing. Right. That's where I think Martin Luther was. That yeah. idea of I have to do all these things. If I don't do all these things and I recognize that I can't do all these things, I'll never be justified. I'm crushed. I'm yeah, crushed yeah. before God. The wrath of God remains on me. But if I know that I'm secure by faith in what Jesus alone can do, I now live joyfully and, and you know, with this liberty to now please the Lord, not because I'm doing it every day under the microscope of God, waiting for him to smite me if I mess up, but because he has been so good. And, and, and I think about this even in the context of like a marriage 
marriage, for example, all three of us are married. Um, if you love your spouse, there's, mm. there are certain requirements in a marriage covenant, right? There are certain things yeah. you do, certain things you don't do. There are people right now that are caught up in their marriages, and for them, maybe what they do is begrudging, right? It, it's, yeah. it's the sense of, I have to do this mm-hmm. rather than, no, I want to do this because I love my spouse. Yeah. I want to go grow deeper in intimacy. I want to serve her. I want to honor her. All of those things I do out of love, not to earn her love, not because I feel like I have to. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is somewhat close to the picture of what the gospel uh, mm-hmm. points us towards. Okay, so a, a person listening, let, let's create some hypotheticals. You have a person that's listening, watching this, and they're not a Christian, and they're thinking, "Okay, so where does it begin? You know, how how when do how do I get saved? When do I get saved? What does what does that look like?" And I think we've even talked about this recently of the tension of um, having altar calls at mm-hmm. church. In this yeah. sense, that I'm using mm-hmm. a, an old traditional term. Sure, most churches don't even have altars <laughs> in the front, and even yeah. those. Right. It's funny if people go like. We'll kind of talk about uh, more contemporary churches, and they go, you know, I just think it's a, you know, it's sad that they don't have altars in front. I'm like, you do realize no churches have altars in front. In a sense, <laughs> but, but that they meant the steps, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they meant whatever some part part of the front you could come to. But anyway, all that said, an altar call is a point in a service where you call someone to come up and basically give an opportunity to be saved in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we recognize is it 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 seems to be rarely a moment versus, though it can be a moment, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, where we don't know exactly what moment a person transitions. But so, Chris, I'll, I'll go to you first, and then I'm going to follow it up with you, the second part of it. So the first part is going to be a person who does not, they're, they're not in a relationship with God, but but there's just something stirring in their heart, and they're going, but I, I want to be in a relationship with God. Yeah. So what does that look like? Because I think in almost every other area, it's like I have to reach a certain level of something, holiness, sure. perfection, skill, yeah. then I can. Okay, mm-hmm. then the follow-up question, just to give you a heads up, would be, okay, what about the Christian then? Is, is the expectation, is it a, a rising bar in a Christian's life of, yeah, sure, you got saved by grace, mm-hmm. faith, you know, in that moment, but now you should know better. And so that's a, a rising standard. It's like, sure. that's the tension. Sure. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's go to the person who just is like, how do I get saved? What does that look like? Okay. Um, can, I, can I start with just like talking about the whole idea of salvation? Do whatever period? you want, Chris. All right. <laughs> so in my mind, as I look at the whole even concept of being saved, it really stems down to, and I don't want to be over reduction, reductionistic in it, but it really stems in my mind to a reconciliation with God. So we were yeah. rebellious. We, we walked away from God. We rejected yeah. his good, uh, his goodness in our lives and his, his leadership over our lives. And so that is what's broken by sin ultimately. Mm-hmm. So that relationship with God, salvation is the ability to come back into that relationship in which the rest of our lives flourish based out of that relationship. So in my mind, salvation is the reconciliation with God. That starts, that begins with the entire concept of God's intent. And, and I'm going to go, refor- excuse me, <coughs> I'm going to go back to my reformed roots here. And, <laughs> and I'm going to say God's intent is the, is the causation of salvation. God right. loves his creatures. He mm-hmm. loves his creation. Even though we were rebellious, even though we were sinners, even though we rejected him, God loved us and created a plan and made a way for that plan to be enacted through the person of Jesus Christ so that we could have salvation. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn or make God want that with us. He has it. It's who he is. It's what, it's mm-hmm. what he does. And so in the person of Jesus, he, he gave the ultimate sacrifice, um, because you, you see the sacrificial system in the old Testament. So Jesus sacrifices himself so that our sins could be forgiven and that that relationship can be mm-hmm. reunited. This is typically what's called justification, what we term right. salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like we see that this happens out of the intent of God we appropriate that by surrendering to it mm-hmm. and going, oh, I see that you desire to be in a relationship with me. I want to be in a relationship with you. So in simple terms, we, we go, God, I want to be in a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. I, I want this to be mended. And then it's the process that you talked about from, the, from there forward. It's Christ has made a way for that to happen. We, we now learn to trust Christ in that process. And, and, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to summarize it uh, and correct me any part that, or anything you want to expound on. Uh, 
So in the beginning, when God created, his idea of life was not simply existing. Right. Mm-hmm. His idea of life was existing in a relationship with him. Right. That, that's true life. Because you can physically exist and not be experiencing true life. Right. right? So, but he gave us a, a, an ability, free will, to reject him. But it came with the warning. If you reject me, you're going to die. Yeah. We, we know Adam and Eve didn't physically die in the moment of the rejection of God. But what they experienced was a spiritual separation. That was true death mm-hmm. uh, with God. So, so Jesus dying on the cross was to fix that, mm-hmm. that separation because sin demands death. And so Jesus mm-hmm. died so that we didn't have to die. I mean, Scripture is pretty clear on that. So... God wants to be in a relationship. That's what you're saying. God wants to be in a relationship, but the way that we enter it is simply by accepting that gift yeah. that he's offering. And that happens in faith. We right. we realize we're a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Okay, so a person is saved. What's actually happening in that moment? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I think so. I, I'm just saying, clarifying for, for the person who's listening, because there is, like, so you go, okay, they're justified. But sure. what, I mean, like, there's profound spiritual things that are being that are being let loose in a person's exactly. life in salvation. What, what's going on in that? So in accepting that and surrendering to that and, and accepting that, you you are being forgiven of your sin. So past, present, and future sins all washed under the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are being invited into a relationship with God, and you are given the power of His presence in your life through the Holy Spirit. Um you're offered that and, and yeah. you, you can accept that and walk and live with the Holy Spirit. So you, all these beautiful, miraculous things begin to take place in your life. Now that you're in relationship with God, your life begins to take a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so like the faith steps that, that you were talking about, like that, that outpouring because Christ gave that, that beautiful gift to us because we've been forgiven, because we've, been released from the the bondage to sin. And that, what that means is we've been given the ability to choose obedience. We've mm-hmm. been given the ability to follow God. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live that out. Um, we now are able to walk in that relationship and learn what it means to um, experience the fullness of joy in, in a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, did I answer your question? 100%. Okay. Okay. So a person is saved, sins are forgiven, begin a relationship with God, empowered by the Spirit of God. So his, they become the temple of God. His, his actual presence is with them. I think this is the part then where a lot of Christians would say, this is where they feel the tension mm-hmm. is, okay, so now all of those things are true, forgiven, relationship with God, but now they're becoming more and more aware of what his expectations are. Mm-hmm. And living up to those are difficult. And I mm-hmm. think that's the tension that Christians feel is, I'm trying and I'm failing. The mm-hmm. same tension that the Israelites felt with the mm-hmm. law is sure. we have the standard that we never uh, attain. And as Christians, there's a standard that we never attain perfectly. There are elements that we do, but so we keep, we always fall short. So for a Christian goes, okay, so now has it changed? I, am I still saved by faith? Am I now saved by <laughs> works? What part do works play? Mm-hmm. What's the expectation? What happens if I can't do the works? I mean, like all of that tension. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, just to even kind of pick up where you left off, I, I think the the important thing to use theological jargon, just because I think it's helpful sometimes to explain to people so they understand what it means. So, so one of the words would be regeneration, right? That inside of a person, something changes, something happens. So it's not just a perspective shift in your mind. There's something supernatural, something spiritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul calls it circumcision of the heart. One mm-hmm. of my favorite passages, Ezekiel 36, God is actually prophesying what's going to happen in the future. And I believe he's pointing to Jesus. Jesus pointing to the coming of the spirit. And he's talking in the context of Israel who has not kept his laws, not kept his covenants in this, you know, constant cyclical pattern over and over and over again, right? They never measure up. They never follow God. They never keep obedience. And he says, like, basically there's a day that's going to come. I'm going to do this on your behalf and you're going to receive a new heart, right? I'm going to remove your heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, right? Something that's malleable, something that's soft, sensitive to God. I'm going to put a new heart and I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you keep my rules and my statutes. And, and really the implication there is that it's God's work in us that enables us then to live a new life. So this is not, 
hey, Jesus died for you, now good luck. It's on your own. It's through the power (laughs) of the Spirit inside of us. And so at salvation, we do receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can become everything God has called us to be. This is why Paul called us new creatures or new creations, because something supernatural has happened to us. So that's the first thing. And, And the reason I bring that up is I think that's important because our desires and our affections should change. I mean, I remember growing up in a nominal Christian home. I mean, I knew all of the the basic kind of Christian jargon, Jesus died for my sins. I knew kind of the morality, things that you should or should not do that came with Christianity. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't care. My affections were not for God. What changed was not necessarily at my moment of salvation that suddenly now I had a bunch of new information intellectually was that something changed inside of my heart where I wanted, I had a Mm. desire to honor God. I found joy in wanting to obey and please God. And so now it wasn't this begrudging effort. So I think that's the first thing, like there should be evidence of that. We should look for that in our life. Do you have that inclination, the desire to want to pursue him? Now, after years, sometimes that can wane. And and this is where I think spiritual disciplines come into place. This is why Mm -hmm. I think spiritual disciplines exist. So the concept of, of reading scripture, um, that, that God reveals himself to us in his word. And, um, we talk about this all the time. We, we fill our lives up with all kinds of things that shape the way that we think, shape the way that we live, shape the way that we talk, shape the way that we view people. We have to be filling ourselves up with scripture to think the way that God thinks, to understand Mm -hmm. things, the way that God has revealed them to us. Um, prayer is another one. I mean, prayer literally is the lifeblood of, of the Christian in that mm. it's the way that we relationally connect to God. Mm. It's the way that we have communion and fellowship of God uh, with God. And then fellowship with the church, being a part of uh, the assembly of believers, partaking of communion, constantly mm. being reminded of the gospel that is not just for the unbeliever, but is for the believer. Right. And one of my favorite things about uh, frequently taking communion is that we get to proclaim to a church of, of Christians that the gospel is still for you, that the grace right. of God is still for you. Mm-hmm. And while we seek to obey and honor God and do what is right, we do fail. We do fall short. And, and we're being reminded of the foundation of our faith is actually not in ourselves. It, mm-hmm. it is in Jesus Christ. And so the more that we come back to that, the more that it actually should drive our affection and our desire. Um, and really, you know, Paul says in Ephesians 5, the idea of being filled with the Spirit. So there's some element of this, which is something that can be pursued, and it's something that's progressive. It's not just that we receive the Spirit one time, it's that we are continuously surrendering to the Mm -hmm. work of the Spirit Mm -hmm. in our lives. And that's how progressively over time, again, to use theological jargon, we call this sanctification, right, where we are becoming more like Jesus through the work of the Spirit in our lives. But we have to be committed to the process of allowing the Spirit of God to do those things. And so the spiritual disciplines, all of those things are a Mm -hmm. part of the ways that God does that in us. And, And we have to recognize that on this side of heaven, there's always going to be that, that flesh and blood struggle, right? Where we, mm-hmm. we are tempted. We do struggle with sin. Um, one day that will be fully eradicated. That day yeah. hasn't happened yet. So there is grace for us in that. But I think the motivation of a heart is very important. And really at the end of the day, only a person between them and God knows the motivation of their heart that when we, when we sin, when we fall short, are we grieved over our sin mm-hmm. or are we are we flipping about it to where we don't really care? We don't really care how we're living. Mm-hmm. Because again, that's another evidence of the work of the Spirit, right? Jesus said that the Spirit is going to bring conviction. And so um, that's one of God's graces that He does convict us of our sin. And we talked right. in another podcast about that to bring us back onto the path. If it was not for the Spirit of God, we would wander. Mm-hmm. We would go completely astray. But it's the Spirit of God who continuously brings us back and, and puts our feet on solid ground again. Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing that the heart of God is, it's always been the exact same. He wants us to trust him so mm-hmm. that we can stay in a relationship with him. Right. And whether it's in the initial salvation or it's an ongoing relationship, it's it's a desire from God for us to trust him, mm-hmm. to, to be in that. Because I, I was thinking about it. I had this moment this morning. I was, I'm in my own personal devotions, I was finishing up Deuteronomy and in it, at the end of it, if you guys don't know, Deuteronomy is, uh, it's God speaking, but it's also through Moses. Moses is basically doing a recap. He's, they're about to transition to Joshua. And actually today's devotion, it's that process of tra- transitioning to Joshua, the new leader. And so he's reminding all of Israel. But in this, God speaks through him and says to the nation of Israel, like, basically, here's a reminder of all my laws that I want you to keep. And and for some reason, this is how it hit me this morning. It was a really like grace-filled moment as I was looking at it and studying it, that God gives them all of these laws and says in the previous chapters right before it, like, if you obey him, there's blessing. If you don't, I'm mm-hmm. going to resist you called curses. 
But he's like, here's my heart, that you would obey all the laws that I'm giving you. And when you first hear that, it's, it sounds overwhelming mm-hmm. because, I mean, especially if you read Deuteronomy, yeah. I mean, it's a lot, right? Yeah. And it's a recap of all the law, Exodus and Leviticus. And But even within that law that God wants him to keep is the sacrifices at the tabernacle mm-hmm. to be put back in right relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So what God is saying is, it's not, because you can read it and hear it and think what God is saying is... Just remember, I want you to obey all the rules. It's about <laughs> rules. It's about you know mm-hmm. per, being perfect. But what God is saying is a part of that is the nation of Israel would have been continually blessed, not because of perfection, but because they constantly came back to God in faith for mm-hmm. forgiveness, mm-hmm. to be forgiven over and over. And they would have literally been, they could have been in many ways the worst sinners, which they were like all the other nations, but they would have still been treated differently because they continue to trust God. You, mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. And like to me this morning, it was like this beautiful moment. But this is what God still wants. He absolutely wants obedience. He wants He wants us to, like everything you're saying is so spot on. He wants our hearts to change. He wants us to have that desire. But even within there, there's just grace upon grace that right. he's saying, sure. continue to trust me and come to me. Because you think about even Paul, Paul, who has shaped both all three of our theologies, Paul is also the one who goes, and I still struggle with this. <laughs> yeah. You know, like he's yeah. like, he's the one who acknowledges this tension inside of me, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I, I keep doing. And so he kept feeling that tension of mm-hmm. works and faith. And yet, mm-hmm. so it never changes, right? No. So, so you guys, how long have you been a Christian? Um, who, since November, I mean, I grew up in the church, but, but I've been uh, committed yeah. Christian since November of 1998. So I can't do the math. 25? 25, yeah. Yeah, 25 years. So happy yeah. 25th. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how, how long have you been a Christian? Um, yeah, so similar in that I grew up in a Christian home, but but like actual life transformation, God got a hold of me, it would have been um, 2010, so uh, 13 years. So you're just a teenager? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, what, what does it look like for you sure. as a Christian navigating the, the works side of things with the faith side of things? Um, what's that tension like for you? Um, it, it is a constant back and forth for me. I go to one of one or the other side, uh, at all times. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a constant bouncing back and forth between the two of I'm either too gracious with myself to where I, I allow myself to wander into things that are not healthy or helpful for me or healthy for my relationship with God, or I'm too strict and, and I feel like God is going Hey Chris, relax. Like that's not a that's not what I what I had for you, mm-hmm. um, and so like there's still struggle. There's still um, still a fight with desire for sin, um, mm-hmm. and we can. I, I think we can talk about it all day long. Like God changes our hearts, but we're still fighting that temptation, that draw, sure. that bent towards sin, and um, I still have that. But then there's been things that God has shown me in my life disciplines that help have helped me overcome those things. And so I'm not the same person that I was though. I might have degrees of struggles that I had when I was 18 years old. Sure. I don't have, I don't have them in the same way because of different steps of obedience. And so Mm -hmm. it's a constant going back to, I think you said it, Anthony, it's a constant allowing the spirit to speak into the moment. Um, I, I think about my kids, like, nothing speaks to this relationship like like your children. When my kids were young, they were learning how to walk. I was ecstatic if they took three steps (laughs) and then fell down. You know what I mean? Right. Because those first steps were amazing. Mm -hmm. So I just imagine God, like you might take three steps and you might stumble. Mm -hmm. And and I I feel like God would be ecstatic about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, The problem is like, at least this is how I get in my head. I get to be the the 25 year old. And I feel like, man, I should be further along than I am. I should be better than I am. And that's when God goes, why do you think that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's times where it's like, what, what makes you think that you should be further along than you are? And, and like, and what it brings me back to is this place of like, the spirit has not ever not convicted me of sin. The spirit has not ever encouraged me in times of defeat. Mm -hmm. The spirit has not ever brought me back or failed to, to bring me to a place of, of repentance with God. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so like God just keeps bringing me back to this place where I'm just relaxing in the relationship, but purposed to, 
pursue his ways and to mm-hmm. do the things that he's calling me to do. Yeah. So that's, that, that's kind of the best way that I can describe it. How about you? 13 years. <clears throat> yeah, I would say, um, you know, I alluded to it earlier. The, the initial thing was, right, I felt my affections change um, in the sense that I, I genuinely did, like I wanted to live a life of obedience because I experienced joy there. Like I experienced right. uh, the, I would call, you know, almost the joy of a clean conscience before God. There, there's something that is um, beautiful about that. And when you feel like you're in alignment with God's plans and purposes for your life, um, simultaneously though, there was a, there was a deeper, much deeper pain, um, when you do fall short, you know, when, when I have sinned throughout those 13 years, you feel, it feels devastating. I mean, to use that word and, and I, I don't use that word lightly. I mean, there have been seasons where I'm devastated by my own failure and, um, and so one of the things that has changed for me, I would say earlier on, I was, I was much harder on myself, almost to the point where, you know, would sin or, or do something that I just, knew, you know, knew better not to do and would actually distance myself from God in the sense that yeah. like, man, I felt like I couldn't read my Bible. Right. I couldn't do my devotions. I couldn't pray for three or four days. It was almost like a, a, a form of like personal chastisement. Like you don't deserve to go to God. You don't deserve to pray. Right. You don't, as if I was worthy to do those things prior anyway, which again is what we're talking about. Like yeah. it's only Jesus who makes us qualified to be able to have access to God in that way. Um, it was never up to me to begin with. But I think there, there's a part of that that's beautiful in that for me, it was when I looked at my old life, it was like I cared so deeply. I wanted to, I wanted to please God. I wanted to mm-hmm. do what was right. The dark side of that was oftentimes the shame that comes with it. Or for me, the shame that never drives you towards God, it drives you away from him. You know, we talked about this in another podcast. Shame is different than conviction. Shame tells you you're worthless, you're no good, God wants nothing to do with you. And, and I struggled with that for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. I would say I still at times struggle with that conviction says, no, you're, you're called to something more, you know, God has mm-hmm. so much more for you. It's redemptive in nature. It's, mm. it's not uh, something that drives you from God, but drives you to God. And so that's one of the things that I would say has changed in, in recent seasons of life where when I fail uh, and, and feel like I fall short, I'm quicker to run to God and, and plead with God for his grace, realizing how much I need it. Mm. And there's a part of me that as much as I wish that for the next 50 years, Lord willing, that I have 50 years, I, I could be sinless and live a life of perfect obedience. I know that's not the reality. Um, and so to me, this is the next best thing, that in my failure, in my shortcoming, to be able to run to God, to draw near to Him rather than um, run away from Him. And so even to me, that that has been one of the things that has shifted in my understanding of God's grace. And I'm, and I'm thankful for it in the sense of I'm so glad that today I got to be reminded once again that it's all about God's grace and not my performance, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's the, the beauty. The flip side of that is when I fail and fall short, I'm reminded of the beauty of the gospel again, the gospel that isn't just for non-believers; It's for those of us who feel like we're falling apart at times, even as Christians. So that's been, that's been one of the areas where I've grown. And similar to Chris, there, there are areas of sin in my life that have diminished. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they're non-existent or that right. I never still struggle with the temptation of those things, but they've diminished and they've diminished through disciplines and through um, making different decisions in life. You, you begin to mm-hmm. form different patterns of, of life. And, and that, those are the things that give me hope because I, you know, by God's grace and through his spirit, um, you know, we can continue to do those things as we grow in the faith. And the one thing that I think about is even Paul in Romans 8, where he talks about like this groaning. That's another element of this, like that we're always going to be groaning on this side of eternity, like the spirit of God in us groaning for that full and complete liberation Mm. from the power and presence of sin. And um, the encouragement is that, you know, even Paul was real about it. And Paul talks about the struggle in Galatians 5. And so it's it's easy to find ourselves in God's story and realize we're not the only one. I'm not the only yeah. one that struggles with this. This was the biblical authors. This is all of us who are in this together. So yeah, that's been that's been some of my journey. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna create two make believe people here, and I want <laughs> you guys to speak this truth to them. Okay, so we're we're talking about this beautiful intersection of works and faith mm-hmm. that they're not competing. It's not one or the other. Right. It's working together. You have faith and it leads you to works. Okay. The person who hears this and thinks, I, I never feel guilty. I never feel like I feel fine. Like the person who's trying to approach God based on their own merit, uh, what we would call like the self-righteous person. Mm -hmm. So if, if a person comes to you and goes like, you know, I don't, I don't think I am that bad of a person. Okay. 
What would you say to them, Chris? Would you? You're kind, but what, what's the <laughs> what's the blunt answer theologically that you would have to confront someone with that? Because I don't know this. I I, I think the people that I run with all are similar to me in the sense that we do have the ongoing struggle of like, yeah. I know I can do better. I, I desire to do better, yeah. like the longings mm-hmm. of our hearts. We were all saying that. But there are other people out there that are just like kind of floating through life thinking like, well, I'm not that bad. Mm. What would you speak to them? And then I have, gonna I have do, just a good one for you. You're going to do the, you're going to do the Ray Comfort 10 Commandments. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it? You've never seen that, the Ray Comfort evangelism. You guys ever seen yeah, that where he uses like, the 10 commandments? Have like, you ever told a lie? Yeah, you're, you're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. He, he believes you have to, you have to teach the law in order to teach grace. Yeah. That's okay. their concept. Yeah. So it's not just Ray Comfort. It's uh, Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've never seen that before. Sorry about that. Oh, you're good. <laughs> um, I would say you're, you're blind to, to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you, you don't have an understanding of, of your heart or of, of really the way that you're in, you're probably single. Um, I'll say it that way because <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> because I promise you, if you, <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I picture good. this hypothetical person that actually is listening and is like, yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, oh. Like just Chris just, pastor Chris just crushed. The oh, um, no, but okay. But here, speak to that for a second. I know you're, you're, you're serious, but joking, right? Yeah. But like, Okay, so they're not fully aware, right? Because you're saying in, in relationships and in marriage, it exposes it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, the re- re- every relationship exposes the brokenness of our hearts. Like yeah. I, I feel like y- you walk, you might be doing fine until you get up and you the person cuts you off in traffic. You might be doing fine until somebody um, offends you. You might right. be doing fine until. It's it's those moments when we come into contact with other sinful people and we go, um, we we judge them, we we're ungracious with them, we um, we respond out of, um, I'm trying to think of the word shoot, um, uh, revenge. That's the word mm-hmm. I was thinking of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we have this concept where our rights matter more than other people because if we really think about it, the the standard that Jesus puts before is to love others more. And so like, right. and that's the part where I go, it, it's really easy to get self-righteous if it's a list of things that I need to do every single day. Mm-hmm. I, I can do okay with keeping a checklist. It's when I interact with other people and I, I look at my heart in relation to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like comparing myself to them. It's man, that person annoys the mess out of me, man. That person, it makes me impatient. Like I, I get so impatient when I'm around that person. I, I get angry when I'm, I'm frustrated by the way that that person's treating me. It's those moments when I go, oh man, I'm missing something here that doesn't, because my, I don't look like Christ. You know what I mean? And so like relationship exposes almost like what the law does Mm -hmm. of, 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 of my sin. And so like, I would say if that's you and you're, you're listening and you're like, I don't know that I struggle all that much. Spend some time with some people, and I promise you, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> they will expose some things that, sure. first of all, they'll they'll be able to speak to some blind spots that you have, but mm-hmm. also um, start paying attention to your heart and, and how you feel when they offend you, when they hurt you, when they, and I promise that you'll start to notice some of the, the things that are still bent in your life. Yeah. Okay. Let's go even further then. Okay. okay. So that's all good. <clears throat> now, pretend to be God. Um, it, this person's trying to approach God and they're saying, I'm, I'm not coming based on faith. Yeah. I'm coming based on God. I've been a good Christian. I have been raised in a Christian home. I've gone to church. I'm not as bad as my friends. I, you know, and they're trying to approach God that way. What, what is the theological perspective that they need to understand of why that is broken? So at some point in your life, you still try to do this without my, without my presence. So, uh, uh, so if I'm speaking on God's behalf, and that's a scary thing to do, (laughs) um, but like, you know what I mean? So like, there's this, the, the idea of the fact that we are sin, like we just have this natural bent to want to do life on our own, apart from the relationship from God, that creates a, a debt with God that is insurmountable by us. We, we live our entire lives with that kind of pull and, and you see it all over culture. Like everybody wants all the parts of life without the oversight and the, mm-hmm. the relationship with God. Um, and so like you've lived with that your entire life. You might have cleaned your behavior up, but 
I promise you it's not as clean as you think that it is right. and, and say in comparison to who. Um, so yeah. maybe you're better than the people that you live <clears throat> around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then also too, you've rejected the, the gift that I've given you. And so what, why, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, I, I feel like I'm not really answering your question really no, well, I, but they, no, it is, it is that tension of, if you think you can approach God based on your own ability at best, it's ignorant, but right. at worst, it's arrogant, yes. right? It, yes. It's, uh, I mean, there, there's a scripture that talks about that our, our righteousness is to God as filthy rags. Right. It's when you try to approach God and say, God, look at what I've done. Mm-hmm. God finds it gross, disgusting, as filthy rags versus when you approach God and say, God, look what your son has done on my behalf, that's completely yeah. different. Right. And that that really is the tension of it is if someone doesn't feel it's not that we're encouraging you to feel guilt and shame, but you have to have a reckon you have to recognize mm-hmm. a recognition of your your brokenness, right? Well and this was Jesus's tension with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They right. they believed they had a form of righteousness that made them better than other people mm-hmm. and it made them justified in God's sight. And Jesus comes along and says, look at the inconsistencies of your life. You, you do things with the wrong motivation. Right. You, you, you don't do them consistently to the standard that you hold other people to. Right. And, and so, and then you want to tell other people that they, they could never be justified before God because mm-hmm. they are a tax collector, a sinner, a prostitute. Right. Oh. And, and, and so they negate the power of God to rescue and redeem these other people. Mm-hmm. And so like they're, they're unmerciful and they're unkind. And so like Jesus's tension with them is you're, you're blind. Like you are, you are unable to see the places where you have fallen short of the, the standard of God mm-hmm. and, and how you still need the grace that you're refusing other people. Mm-hmm. And, and so what you're doing is you, you try, um, you try to live to you try to uphold a stick and claim to hold a standard that you don't actually do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, you, you're not living up to the standard the way that you think that you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you have no grace for people because right. you have no grace for yourself. All right, Anthony, your turn to play God. <laughs> <laughs> you have a person that maybe is the opposite of that is not necessarily self-righteous, but maybe doesn't. Um, doesn't feel like their sin is that bad in the mm-hmm. sense of, hey, it's who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, we we sin. We're all pe- we're all people. We all sin, and and that's their perspective where they're they're trying to in a sense minimize it. So they're like, man, I got faith in God. God is so gracious, and you know, basically like God will understand. You know, like so they're the, <laughs> to that other side of it of going, yeah, my behavior though I know it's sinful. Is it really that big of a deal? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you speak to them? Because, again, it's not to be harsh, but it's like both sides of these are, are dangerous places of ignorance and arrogance. How would you speak to that? I mean, I, I would first and foremost say, um, yeah, it is that bad, bad enough that Jesus had to die for it. You know, yeah. I, I've always... That's a great... Yeah. I mean, I've, I've literally always said... Um, you know, to, to the people that if salvation is through works, if it's through good deeds, if it's through some other means, there's many ways to God, that whole mindset. I've always said, well, then why did Jesus come? Right. Would, would God, the creator, send his son into the world to die in, in a criminal's stead, right, in a criminal's place, in, in the place of sinners, mm-hmm. if there was another means of salvation, if, if there was another way to make it happen? And I think to me, the answer is no. Right. This Jesus paid the ultimate price. Um, and, and so in the cross, right, you see both the, the wickedness of humankind, the, the weight of sin, the cost yeah. of sin. When you look around the world, you see this. You see it displayed on every news channel. You mm-hmm. see it in your own relationships. Um, sin is costly, right? It's why Jesus had to die. So I think there's that element. Simultaneously, you see the beauty and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God in mm-hmm. the cross. You see both simultaneously. And so that's why we do have reason to celebrate but if a person, to me, is minimizing their sin, I mean, if I was in this place, right, there would be a lot of a lot more dialogue, and I would try to get a, a good understanding of where they're coming from. But there would be some some serious questioning of if the Spirit of God is the one who brings conviction to our hearts over our sin, and if you're not experiencing conviction, 
that should at the very least leave room for pause for you in consideration of, yeah. of where your heart is before God. Um, if the Spirit of God is not convicting you, um, that's concerning. And so it could be a couple of things. Maybe you are not a Christian. Maybe you're not really following Jesus. It could be that you have, in a very real way, hardened your heart through active steps of disobedience for a long period of time, right? Yeah. That, that you've hardened your heart towards God, and you do need to repent. You need to repent of your, um, your belittling of sin in the sense that you don't find it offensive to God, and you don't think it's that mm. big of a deal, and you need to bring that to God, and you need to say, God, I don't care help me with this. Mm -hmm. Help me with the fact that I don't care. Soften my heart, change my heart. Mm -hmm. I am concerned with the fact that I don't think that that's a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that I would say to people. Um, you know, this, this idea that this is what we might call that easy believism, right? The hyper grace movement. I think it is one of the, the fearful places to fall into where we emphasize grace so much but we don't emphasize the results of grace in a person's life, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not just the grace that saves, it's the grace that transforms, it's the grace that sustains, it's the grace that does all of these things. And so you can't have, it's not like there's multiple versions of grace where it's you get the grace that saves, but not the grace that transforms, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. Um, if you get one, you get all of it. And so uh, to me, that would be, I would, I would ask some of those questions to really try to understand you know, even that person's understanding of Jesus and what he did and, and their understanding of the gospel and what they believe makes a person right before God. Because to me, if a person has that posture, there might be some serious misunderstandings mm -hmm. about what Christianity teaches. And while, yes, none of us can ever perfectly measure up, I really do believe uh, one of the true hallmarks of a believer is someone that wholeheartedly desires. They desire to be obedient. They desire mm -hmm. not because they, they feel like if they don't, God is disgusted with them, but rather because they they have seen the goodness and beauty of God yeah. and they so badly want to honor him um, because they found joy in that you know and so mm -hmm. if, if a person is not experiencing that um, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit in the place of God and say I know their heart but I would ask some questions that would make them reflect and really consider if if their experience and beliefs are actually matching up with what scripture mm -hmm. teaches about mm -hmm. that experience all right final question for you guys um, do you think that the tension ever resolves in the life of a believer of works and faith? And should it even resolve? Is it a beautiful tension that God allows for a particular reason? Do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the tension remains. I think Scripture creates that tension, and I think it's one that we will forever manage. And, and, and the reason I think that is because... We, we teeter back and forth between the need, the kind of the kick in the pants to get going and to <laughs> allow our lives to be transformed. But we also at times need to be reminded that this isn't on our effort, that mm -hmm. God's love for us is greater than our ability to get it right all the time. And, and so there is that there is that. It's not a it's not even a knife head because God's grace is so big and it's so beautiful and he's so gracious. So we stumble, we fall and we repent and we get back right. up and we give it an, another go. But if we're not if we're not being motivated, if we're not desiring to see those things and being purposed about the changes that God wants to make in our life. I remember you presented this um, a couple retreats ago when we, we were on staff retreat, you said if you keep saying sorry for something and you're not putting systems in your life to, to really kind of mm -hmm. foster that change or allow that change to take place in your life, are, are you really allow, allowing God to do everything that he's right. wanting to do? And so there is that level of we're just going to constantly be going back and forth between we need to, to find the grace of God. We need to find the motivation for transformation. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Yeah, uh, I think of, you know, how Tim Keller used to talk about, um, and I love the, the way that he kind of expressed this, you know, <clears throat> the, the grace of the gospel both humbles people and it lifts people up. And, and in the sense that, you know, you have the people that are self-righteous, you have mm -hmm. the people that are arrogant, you have the people that think by their own merit, they're in yeah. right standing with God. And so what the gospel comes along and says, no, it's going to humble you because it says it's by grace, you can't earn it. 
Uh, you need God's grace. You need his mercy. You need his forgiveness. And at the same time, to the, the person who's on the opposite side of the spectrum, who never feels good enough, who feels like a wretched failure, who feels like there's nothing they could ever do to measure up and that God wants nothing to do with them, hence kind of what we're talking about in our current sermon series, um, the gospel lifts them up and says, no, again, mm-hmm. it's by grace right. that you're welcome, yeah. you're invited. And so I think about that even in the life of a believer. I, I agree with Chris in that I think there's always going to be a tension because you're going to swing that pendulum depending on the season of life. Right. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some times where you feel like you're killing it spiritually. Like you think every, you feel like everything's in alignment and in the danger of those moments in our lives in those seasons is that we can begin to foster a spirit of, of mm-hmm. arrogance, spiritual arrogance, spiritual self-righteousness, and it can creep up on us. And so we're reminded there again, right. we're sustained by grace. We need God's mm-hmm. grace in those moments, grace to humble us. And then there are other times in the Christian life, and we've all had those seasons where we feel like nothing but a wretched failure. And again, grace comes mm-hmm. along and says, no, remember that I'm yeah. sufficient. I'm, I'm enough for you. Submit again to my grace, to my love, and I will continue to work in you. I will continue to transform you. And so, yeah, I just keep going back to that principle. It, it is not only the grace that saves, it's the grace that sustains, it's the grace that transforms. And I think the, the tension will always be there. I do think the one thing that can alleviate the tension is when we approach God relationally rather than transactionally, when it's mm-hmm. not just a, a checklist or to-do list, but when we pursue God in relationship, that it is then His grace that transforms us from the inside, that His Spirit is at work within us. And I think it, it feels, if I can use the word feels, a lot more natural in walking yeah. with God, the outpouring of His Spirit in our lives, rather than this checklist of things that I have to do to uh, keep in good status with God. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much, as always, for, for coming and discussing these things. And sure. I would just say, last thought to anyone that's listening, remember this, and I mean it genuinely, uh, if you ever are coming back into the presence of God, just know He's excited you're there. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what good or bad you've done in your past. Yeah. He has provided a way, and He wants you in His presence. So just remember that. Always go back for grace, and He'll always give it to you. So we hope this has been an encouragement to you. If so, always we encourage you to share it with family and friends, and we hope to see you next time. God bless. <laughs>